2: The will to act is itself a renewable
3: resource. Hello and welcome to episode sixty of Climactic. I'm your host today, Mark Spencer, coming to you from Brisbane Airport. Both myself and collective member Georgia Sheil have been in Brisbane for the last three days attending Climate Reality Project training. Yeah, that Climate Reality with that Al Gore. It's been intense. And both me and Georgia have got so much out of the last few days. And we can't wait to bring you more about it. But I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're going to need a little bit of time to process. And also just to rest. It's been three solid days of absorbing information and spending every spare minute networking with our amazing cohort of 760 other people. That group included people from across the climate community. People in city councils, people leading groups, people doing grassroots activity but also represented in that group were the activists. And that's what this episode today is all about. It's about getting beyond the headlines of Extinction Rebellion and peering behind the curtain and seeing what the people behind these non-violent direct actions are really like. In this episode, you're gonna hear a multitude of voices, Extinction Rebellion members in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Leeds, and in London. That's right, this episode of Climactic is going international. So make sure to hang around to the very end. We'll start now with a description of what Extinction Rebellion is all about. Violet, we're, where are we right now and, and what's this scene we're looking at over there just across the grass?
4: Uh, right here we are at Treasury Gardens at the Camp Out for Climate and at our toes is a graveyard for all the extinct animals and then beyond that is a beautiful campsite. Um, with all our Extinction Is Forever Act Now signs and bunting and, and some people just um, just waking up and surviving the morning after camping out overnight in the city.
3: A group of really passionate people down here, is it a very loose or very tight group? Is there like a set, central sort of set of ideals everyone pretty strictly or, or, or wants to adhere to as being part of XR? Or like, because if you look around the world right now, XR are doing a lot of actions. And even within Australia, there was um, one XR group that just got Inner West Council of Sydney to declare a climate emergency yesterday. Yeah. So they're like sort of playing within the council system. They're getting on the agenda. Other groups are doing direct action. Some are doing both. Yeah. Do you feel like there has you have to be a certain type of person to be an XR or is it kind of a wide group?
4: XR is really for everyone. It really is. And we have a 10 principles. Those principles have things like we value reflecting and learning. We are decentralized and autonomous. So there are there are like values that we go by as a, as a movement, but there's everyone in XR. I was writing a song recently, I'm a musician, and it was like XR is for everyone. Bring your yoga teacher, bring your mom, bring your dad. So it really is. And, and that's the whole point. It's supposed to be just this fun place for people to land when they realize what's going on and fun is the key because you know when you realize what's going on people land here with climate grief and we see a lot of people when they come into XR quite distraught about the situation and and we, we provide a safe and, and welcoming place for them to land and heal mm. yeah
3: that's a really good point it's it does feel like because I'm quite new to the, the climate community I'm, I, I was kind of off the spectrum until recently whereas like yeah I was a capitalist I, I was a salesman I did started business Me
4: too, I was a really good capitalist. Don't blame, don't you uh, worry. I was, I love to shop, you know, and you, but that's the why we have one of our um, principles is no blaming and shaming because we're all born into this toxic system and we, you know, you have to learn. A little plane yeah, overhead. No such
3: thing as a quiet spot in the city, it's yeah. an aerial parking lot. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> that, that's really good. Do you find a lot of people who join XR are people who have already been involved with other groups or involved in the climate crisis in some way? Or is this, for some people, is, is XR their first kind of way of taking action about the climate crisis? Um, For, from what you've seen? I agree. From what
4: I've seen, it's an even split. A lot of other groups that I've... So from XR, I've branched into other activist groups like Stop Adani and the Grey Power who are just doing amazing stuff. But a lot of them are activists who've been doing it for a long time. They're sort of a little, you know, they swap out and help each other under the different banners. Whereas with XR and particularly Camp Out for Climate, we've seen a lot of people who come along and they, they're like, oh, I've never been an activist before. And they feel like they're sitting in a circle full of people who've been doing this their whole life. But I haven't been an activist before. You know, this is my first time as well. And, mm. and you know, I just consider myself a concerned citizen here. Mm. So, yeah, it's really, really for, for new people as well.
3: Is there an element of risk to this for someone who is new to it? I mean like you are camping out you are engaged in, in nonviolent direct action like does this feel like a big first step for someone to take, and do you feel like that's going to be sustainable for them like over the the coming years as we need to continue this pressure
4: yeah that's a really good point. one of our ten principles is we have a regenerative culture mm. and we 're really about informed consent we don't let anybody take risks that they're not fully consenting to. We have a legal team who advises on anything. Yeah, I mean, there are risks, but the thing is, you know, like the suffragettes movements, like the civil rights movements, to be able to get the attention that we need we have to enact on civil disobedience it's gotten past the point of lobbying Mm -hmm. and so that's really the strategy there are plenty of roles that are not arrestable there are plenty of roles Mm -hmm. that are um, are simple like the beautiful graveyard here Mm -hmm. this is an art installation a lot of XR is art and Mm -hmm. so if you just want to paint signs for the revolution somebody will stand here and hold them for you and get arrested and you can say that's my sign being confiscated (laughs) but yeah it really is about civil disobedience at the end of the day. Yeah, and that is a risk, but it's a risk we're willing to take.
3: So you've just heard Violet's take on the importance of collective action. And now to hear a little bit more about how that collective action can yield real results. We'll go back to previous guest from last week, Reed Pierce, to hear how Extinction Rebellion Sydney convinced the Inner West Council to declare a climate emergency.
1: So more about Extinction Rebellion. This is a movement that started in the UK and my understanding as well from discussion before that the Extinction Rebellion was very much um, behind the thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets in London and then clogging up all the jails, um, which really sent a message home. So that was a chance of action and that is now global, is it? Tell us a bit more about Extinction Rebellion.
2: Yeah, so Extinction Rebellion started back in November in London. I think it was a group of maybe 20 or so uh, activists, but they came from all you know backgrounds. Some were academics, some were you know climate scientists. Some were just regular people or lawyers, um, wanting to take um, climate action seriously. Um, I think it really started when the U.S. pulled out of the Paris agreements. But at the same time, the Paris agreements a couple years back were kind of watered down anyway. And even then, the level of discourse was like, "Well, if we make significant changes by 2040, we still have time." But as more and more um, scientists have come out saying, "We really only have basically till 2030 to fix the problem, or or the planet will, will suffer irreversible damage." people realize that we need to radically change the language and the, um, the, 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 the pace of change. So Extinction Rebellion came across in that way, and their, their name kind of says it all. I think the, the notion of extinction, we're living in the sixth mass extinction as we speak. Um, the level of species that are dying off every single day is asto- astonishing. Uh, and before too long, the human, um, human race may be extinct itself within the next 100 years. So realizing that we're dealing with extinction, not just of humans, but all species, was one part of it. But then the rebellion part is that we're standing up, we're striking, we're we're taking action now. And I use the word striking. It also coincided with uh, Greta Thunberg, the, the student activist in Sweden, It coincided with her movement of realizing, once again, that was just one little girl making, making, um, you know, a change. She literally just stopped going to school on Fridays and was sitting in front of the Swedish parliament saying, I'm striking for climate. Until you do something, I won't go back to school. So I thought that was so inspiring, and that's actually what inspired me to join Extinction Rebellion, was seeing that little girl make all this noise. So she was speaking at the UN. The level of discourse she started has literally caused millions of students to strike worldwide. And uh, I took part in the student strike here as a marshal back in March and was just so inspired. I think just here in Sydney, there was 25 to 30,000 students that showed up for the school strike for climate. So it's these all these movements kind of joining together at this stage because we realize that our politicians have really let us down. The amount of change that needs to happen now is, is significantly greater than had we acted 20 years ago when we could have fixed things. But now we have to act fast and act now. And so Extinction Rebellion came across to do just that. So they have three demands, which are, I I think they're pretty simple. And it's not that, you know, these are going to be easy fixes, but they're pretty simple demands in and of itself. The first is simply to tell the truth. So that's demanding governments actually tell the truth that we're not just in some temporary bubble or temporary problem, but it is a climate crisis and we all need to act. The second one is that we radically need to decarbonize. So it's not by 2040 or even 2030, but we need to get off carbon by 2025 because the threat is that significant. We have to do that because we basically only have 10 years before we're screwed, but we have to start undoing the damage now. Uh, And the last one is that this needs to be democratized. So, so many times these types of decisions happen behind closed doors. Politicians, you know, make these decisions and then we have to accept the consequences. So what their demand is that there's a citizens assembly that is a part of the key stakeholder group here that represents citizens. So we don't have people that are left behind by this transition. So this would uh, enable workers and common people not to feel the brunt of, say, a carbon tax or something like that, but that, is, you know, that we all can be justly transitioned to the next stage. So those demands are pretty simple, and I think that's what attracted many people to Extinction Rebellion. It's not political in its aim, so it's pretty broad base. I think right, left, we can all get on board with something that's for the climate. So I think that's what's been so appealing about it and why it's been gathering momentum. And... To answer your question it is certainly an international movement at this stage the, the still the bulk of the presence is in the uk but it's i think somewhere over 50 countries now they have branches here in australia we have extinction rebellion i think in all the capital cities we even have a branch up in central coast i think byron has maybe a, their own little extinction rebellion so it's happening it just needs to happen faster australia always seems to be a little bit behind the curve So while they were in London, New York City was doing similar things, shutting down New York City, not to the extent that London was, but much greater than we were in Sydney. But we have a lot of passionate people that have been, I guess, inspired by what they've seen in London and really want to commit to the cause. And and we have a lot of interesting actions planned. I think definitely we need to step it up here. And it's interesting that Australians um, don't have it necessarily in their DNA to be activists. But I am seeing a lot of first-time activists here, a lot of young people, as well as some old-season activists say, hey, this movement actually seems to be the one that's going to do it.
1: Tell us a little bit about that DNA factor, because you're American, and we had a little bit of a touch base before, and you know, Americans seem to have it definitely in their DNA, but it's also structurally within their politics and their policy and the protections of the individual. So what do you think makes it a little bit different here, or what do you think some of the barriers are for people to take action in Australia?
2: That's a great question. and It's still one I'm learning every day. So there's certain things that I just took for granted as an American that are not necessarily so here. So things like dealing with the police uh, in America, they just can't search you for without reason or they can't just arrest you or detain you arbitrarily. Uh, there has to be probable calls, whereas here there seems to be a little gray area. So many people are scared of the police here. Uh, not to say we aren't scared of the police in America. We We have having had a revolution and overthrown the British. We seem to be more anti-authoritarian than Australians are. So I think there's that element that you can't really teach that. So we have to just learn how to work within the current system. So we're working on just understanding what can we do and really pushing that barrier to the, the, the greatest extent possible. Um, so I, I think that a large amount of people are obviously they're reticent to get involved with a movement that might see them go to jail but at the same time, there's so many people that realize this movement is so important for the planet that they're willing to get arrested, realizing that getting arrested for protesting is not the same degree as robbery or something like that, and that down the road it's not going to mess up any, say, job prospects or anything like that. But there's still that degree of, I don't want to get arrested. But there's so many protests and ways to be actively involved here in Australia that don't involve getting arrested that I think it's, it's not turning people away. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a big, easy switch we can just flip and then make Australians all of a sudden start giving a shit or just become more active. Everybody can be active in their own way. I think we were talking about before that we can all find our own safe way to be involved. But at the same time, there's people that at this stage are just so fed up with the status quo, they're willing to put their body on the line literally and do something about it. So it's, it's uh, Extinction Rebellion here is not going to be the same as it is in London necessarily. And I think that's okay. Because it should have its own local flavor. But if we can really keep the message the same, but perhaps approach it in a different way, um, then I think we're going to be more effective. Mm.
1: Yes, it's, a, it's an interesting place. And I reflect on myself, you know, even doing this podcast, it brings me so much joy. But, uh, and it's a creative outlet for me. Um, and it feels important and it feels like I'm taking my own sense of action. But it's definitely not, uh, you know, the front line. So it, there is an element um, that even I hear reflecting on, and we all need to reflect on, I think, as Australians, of what is it about our DNA that we might need to challenge in the way that we take action? Um, you know, it's very great. Uh, it's a great thing to support others. It's a great thing to, um, you know, have activity and share things on social media and do those things that are safe. But, um, you know, what, what would it take for you to take more active steps um, for the climate is something I'm reflecting on at the moment.
3: Sometimes, though, victories like the Declaration of the Interwest Council's climate emergency are just out of reach or don't even seem close at hand at all. In fact, they seem really, really far away. And that was definitely the case in Melbourne just a couple weeks ago. When Extinction Rebellion took to the streets and took to the lobby of one specific building to bring a very pointed message to a very obstinate group. So we're down at the Extinction Rebellion camp. And I'm here with John Knox. Now, John will be familiar to a lot of the listeners of Climactic and, and people in the climate community in general. John is, John is the humblest, famousest man I know in this community.
5: <laughs> John, what is today? What's going on? There's going to be an Extinction Rebellion, um, I guess, a blockade of a climate-denying organisation. We're trying to get them to actually tell the truth on climate we're going to have people locked on to the building that they're in we're going to try and bring attention of the population to how corrupt our politics is
3: what's kind of your your hope for how the action goes cuz and how have you seen recently the the mounting actions by XR do you see that they're starting to to really have an impact
5: oh absolutely they're having an impact uh, we're seeing Governments around the world, and I hope this flows through to Australia, governments around the world actually declaring a climate emergency, which is what we're in. And that's one of the purposes of Extinction Rebellion, is to actually get uh, governments to actually tell the truth so that their citizenry know that we're in trouble and take action to try to change the course we're on so what's it
3: feel like this is not your first time knowing that in a few hours you're going to be putting yourself in a position kind of kind of looking to be arrested what, it, what does it feel like you know i and i we've talked in the abstract about what that's like before but in terms of just with hours to go you personally what does it feel like physiologically
5: um it's kind of nervy uh, this is not the sort of thing that i do for fun nobody does this sort of thing for fun you don't go out and seek being arrested being arrested for no reason, and my reason is my kids my kids are twenty one and nineteen and they they are going to be in a lot of strife now how much strife they 're going to be in depends on how how we move forward and if we don 't take action, then heck uh, the u n just recently suggesting that there's a million species species at risk of extinction um, I just hope the human species isn't one of them though maybe for the the species that survive it would be better that way
3: this is the kind of action you take after exhausting all of their paths do you do you feel like and you might get this question from traditional media from people who aren't aware of the reality of the situation they'd say Oh, isn't this a bit of a stunt? Isn't this a bit of a hyperbolic or, or hair on fire thing to be doing? Do you feel like we've exhausted all our options up to the point that people like yourself, who are upstanding, normal, good citizens, are willing to get arrested? Do you feel like that's, that's the point we really are at?
5: Oh, totally, totally we're at that point. Where, um, the, the problem is we've known about this for over 30 years We've wasted three decades when we could have been taking real action on climate change. The government of both persuasions have not been willing to, but especially the LNP, have not been willing to grasp this nettle. For whatever reason, be it they're being in thrall to the fossil fuel industry or whatever, they're just not treating this as the crisis that it is. I've personally, I've uh, I've written letters to politicians. I've spoken to people. In 2010, I got on my bike. I cycled 8,500 kilometres around Australia giving talks on energy efficiency because that is still the, the quickest way we can reduce our carbon emissions. Um, yet we're still not seeing action from government. And now we're, we're seeing um, the opposition also talking about opening up fracking in the Northern Territory um, and the Bowen and Galilei basins. Now we cannot afford to have any new fossil fuel extraction. We've got to stop Adani, we've got to say carte blanche no more fossil fuel, new fossil fuel extraction uh, and we've got to look towards shutting down what fossil fuel extraction that we've currently got going in Australia we've got so much renewable energy resource instead of instead of exporting coal we could actually export energy into Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. we have that much Mm -hmm. renewable energy resources
3: yeah you're completely right and I can't wait till the the conversation catches up with that reality it's gonna be a really good day to actually talk about the the upside and the the positives
5: I was talking about that in 2010 Mm.
3: But sadly, we know the media hasn't caught up, and we've seen a lot of actions over the last few weeks as XR and the world and other groups are putting a lot of pressure on governments, and we are seeing slowly climate emergency declarations start to get rolled out, whether or not we need to keep up the pressure, of course, to make sure the corresponding action follows that declaration. But you'll know from the Liberal Party launch here just a few days ago and from events before that The news coverage, probably of this action this afternoon as well, will follow a certain trajectory and will have a certain spin on it. What's something when you're watching that news coverage that especially frustrates you with how they spin it? But when we're watching the news this afternoon and we're seeing you, this person we now know is a real living, breathing, feeling person, is getting carried away by the police, what should we be seeing differently in that coverage or, or... What's something that really highlights the way that the mainstream media is not, and mainstream society isn't really getting this yet, and they're actually wrapping themselves up to avoid realizing the reality?
5: Um, I guess the the thing that I'd be uh, asking people to consider is that we are people who are really concerned, and we wouldn't do this if we didn't think it was something that we needed to do. But the state of politics in this country is such that, that we have been forced by our governments. In fact, we, we, have, we have been radicalized by our governments to take this action. And that really, really pisses me off. At my age, I shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. But here I am.
3: Well, because I'm in front of you and I'm able to say it, Thank you, John, for what you're doing. I'm gonna to have to hold back a, a tear myself because this is a very—it's um, a very emotional thing what we're doing, and, and the way you watch it in the news, it, it really desensitizes it and strips it of all—all all the humanity. Um, you know, for myself standing here, I'm, I'm in my late 20s. I would love to be doing this because I'm freaked out a lot more for my kids' future than mine. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's gonna get real. It's—it's it's already real. It's gonna get hairy. Um, Thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, and for people listening to this, you also want to take action. I, I, I personally, I, I can't. I, and I've got the excuse of, of not being an Australian citizen and not being in this sort of arrestable category. I know that's a word that gets used in XR. Can you maybe tell us what, what it means to be an arrestable?
5: Uh, an arrestable is somebody who is willing to actually stay and to the point of being arrested. They've actually come to terms with the fact that this is an action where they can be arrested and they are willing to take on the responsibilities of that. There are consequences for being arrested having been arrested in Victoria once before I won't be on the diversion anymore I will probably get a criminal record. At my stage of life though and considering the climate crisis I couldn't give her stuff this is just crazy we're burning our planet. We're burning our planet and why are we doing that? To make some billionaires richer. That's just as Bill Nye fucking grow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, John. I know
3: it's... Uh, uh, and, and here you're going to be, you're feeling this strongly and you're, you're going to put yourself in the position this afternoon to to sit, to, to be very... to be... Civilly disobedient, but in a very passive way, mm. and this is the beauty of what XR is doing, and it is the only way these movements have ever worked in the past to be nonviolent. But the amount of restraint it must take when you're feeling as strongly as you are, not to just want to just just put your fist through the lobby of this building you'll be in, like just to some yeah. you know to, to you know scream power in these people's faces, yeah. but you're not doing that. You're being there you're making your presence felt and you're refusing to leave when you're arbitrarily told to stop bringing attention to something. Yeah. Is it hard to keep up that, that balance, that, that dedication to, to non-violence?
5: No, no. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a violent person. The violence that's being perpetrated is the violence on the planet. We're trying to stop that violence and I'm part of that, trying to stop that violence. So, if anything, this is the most peaceful thing I can do.
3: But to get to that point, you are working through a lot of strong emotions. Oh,
5: totally, totally strong emotions. Um, Yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've screamed at (laughs) Q&A when, when politicians are being um, interviewed on the radio. Mm. It's just beyond belief. I've been to politicians' offices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I say, I've done everything in my power that I can within the democracy. I've signed petitions, I've been on marches, I've been to demonstrations. Nothing seems to work. So uh, peaceful, non-violent direct actions seem to be getting through. Mm -hmm. So that's what we need to do.
3: Thanks again, John, and we'll uh, we'll look out for the news this afternoon and see what happens. And, and hopefully, this is you know this is another chip into that dam, that and we hope to nail see that, in the coffin that of coal. another nail in the coffin of coal. That's beautiful. Thank yeah. you, John. Thank you. Cheers. But what's a good nonviolent direct action without a really good speech? And while I was down speaking to John, who is preparing to do this action later in the day, I also spoke to Oliver, who is preparing to give a speech. And I convinced him to give us a little sneak preview.
0: My name's Oliver, and today I'm going to be giving a speech in front of the Institute of Public Affairs for Extinction Rebellion.
3: And I understand you're going to give us a, a truncated or um, you know, abridged version of that speech today just yeah. so we can get it in crystal clear quality down by the, uh, the XR camp. So yeah, thank you it. for that, Oliver.
0: No worries. All right, so we have targeted the Institute of Public Affairs. The name suggests an institution interested in the representation of the general public and its goings on. Yet even the name is deceitful and paves the general outline of what the institution truly stands for, that of deception and false claims, pushing agendas that in the very near future will be looked upon as negatively as the companies who were pushing for the promotion of smoking being healthy, which is in fact what the IPA were invested in not so long ago. Some of the individuals who have direct ties with the IPA include mining millionaire or billionaire Gina Reinhardt, Rupert Murdoch, Tony Abbott, George Pell of the Catholic Church, Michael Kroger, who was once the president of the Victorian Division of the Liberal Party of Australia and also the former director of the IPA, Mitch Fifield, a liberal communications minister, Georgina Downer, a Liberal candidate for Mayo running in the current election, and even John Howard. Alongside these individuals, we also have a number of corporations such as Hancock Prospecting, which is basically Gina Reinhart's mining business, uh, which funded $2.3 million in 2016 and $2.2 million in 2017 into the IPA. Other corporations include large mining and and petroleum companies, ExxonMobil, Western Mining Corporation, BHP Billiton, even Telstra, Philip Morris, Murray Irrigation Limited, which is interesting given the recent issues around the Murray-Darling Basin, Caltex, Shell, Esso and even British American Tobacco. So the IPA has also been funded by the Liberal Party through the associated entity, the Cormac Foundation. It also received $50,000 by the Australian Government in 2003. The IPA sells itself as the voice of freedom and yet it strives to take away the freedom of future generations. The IPA's four principles are future, freedom, opportunity and prosperity. To look into these, all principles sound just and fair. But to push for climate change skepticism removes all opportunities of a successful future.
3: Ironically, we'll just wait for the helicopter to pass. That's right. <laughs> that timing is perfect. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the longer we delay action on the climate emergency in which we find ourselves, the more deaths and disasters we will see in our future. Millions, billions of peoples of lives are at risk and an unimaginable amount of other species. The sixth mass extinction is underway right now and we need to change immediately. The climate emergency will impact the freedom of every single human. There are no exceptions to this monumental issue that affects every human being on this planet. The cost of inaction will reduce opportunities beyond belief and no doubt harm our prosperity. So the basic principles upon which the IPA is founded are just, and yet the policies and campaigns outlined by the same institution contradict their own principles, threatening the longevity of humanity and all other beings. We as a people will not stand for this. We demand the government tell the truth about the climate and ecological emergency and that the government act now. So today we are out front of the Institute of Public Affairs to outline the corrupt and immoral collusion happening between government and corporation. It happens and is happening all over the world, causing mass extinction and destroying our beautiful planet, without which we are nothing.
3: Well, this is going to be a fantastic speech. I, I wish cool. you all the best for it. Sorry, I do, I do have to run yeah, yeah, no but, um, problem, no problem. And now, returning guest to the show, Joe Dodds, with a quick dispatch from Sydney Harbour Bridge from just a few weeks ago when Greenpeace activists parasailed from the bottom of the bridge waving climate emergency signs. I'm bringing mass media attention to the issue.
1: It's Joe Dodds here, and I'm at the Sydney Harbour Bridge today with Greenpeace, raising awareness about the climate emergency and the threat that poses to communities like mine in Tarthra, New South Wales, because we faced a catastrophic bushfire in March last year. The changes to the climate are due mostly to the impacts of coal mining and coal burning. So we want to see an end to that to keep our families safe and that's why we're here at the Harbour Bridge today taking this action raising awareness and demanding that Scott Morrison declare a climate emergency now.
3: And now, finally, for a finale. It's with great pleasure that I say friends of the show, Simon and Dan, from Leeds, England, sent in a remarkable piece of audio journalism detailing the XR London strikes that shut down London's inner city for not just days, but a week and captured the attention of the world. I want to say thank you so much, Simon and Dan, for doing this, for sending this in. And I ask that you please check out the links to Simon and Dan's work, including Dan's excellent podcast, A Marvelous Lunch Break, which is one of the best Marvel podcasts out there by one of the nicest guys. And now without further ado, here's Simon's Dispatch from Extinction Rebellion, England.
6: Hi, I'm Simon Moore from Leeds in Yorkshire, in the north of England. I'm going to try and give you an idea of climate activism at the moment in the UK. Many of you will be listening from Australia or elsewhere around the world. I really enjoy listening to Climactic as it connects me to like-minded people, gives me inspiration and a sense of hope about the future. So thank you, firstly, to the Climactic community. Thank you, Mark and co, for having a Brit on the show. I know you like to paint a picture of where people are, so I'm in my house in a place called Meanwood, just a couple of miles from the centre of Leeds. It's quite warm at the moment, it's been a little bit wet, but we're heading into, into summer. My garden is just outside, it's overgrown with plants, and I'm urging my brand new vegetable plot to flourish. So I'm 27. And I've been concerned about climate change and the destruction of our environment for well over a decade. I couldn't pinpoint a single moment where everything changed. I've watched David Attenborough documentaries since I was little. When I was about 15, I watched An Inconvenient Truth, which really ramped up my sense of urgency. Since then, I've always felt like everyone around me has been sleepwalking into disaster choosing to look the other way and ignore the giant asteroid that is looming towards us. But like everyone else, i found it easy to just get on with life. But it feels to me like there's been a massive shift since around October last year. And for me, that's due to two things. Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion. Now, suddenly there are hundreds of thousands of people rising up across the world. Many of them are school children, and they're saying, stop. Stop sleepwalking into this climate crisis. Change your ways before it's too late. And if you say you won't change, we'll simply keep rebelling until you do. Extinction Rebellion hit the headlines when they blocked five bridges in London around October last year. I was one of many who didn't quite have enough sucking me in, but when I saw it happening I knew I had to start getting involved. It clearly put climate on the agenda, it forced people to talk about it, and it did so in a friendly and a civilised way. The school strikes started picking up momentum around the world. And I think it was the Aussie strikes that spurred the UK kids into action earlier this year. Our first strike in the UK was in February. And there were hundreds of kids out on the streets in Leeds. Again, on a personal level, the amount of inspiration and hope that I feel when I go along see the passion and determination that any single child there shows and then you look around and see that mirrored amongst countless others it's just incredible so here's a bit of a flavor of what it was like at one of the youth climate strikes in leeds Power.
5: Power. People! People. Louder.
2: People.
7: People. i'm Robert strafdy i'm 17. And I live in Leeds, which is a city in England. It's about halfway between London and Edinburgh. Uh, today I'm at Leeds uh, City t- Town Hall. So yeah, I'm really keen to help carry on the momentum that we've built um, and try and force the governments to do something.
6: As an adult. It's always been a bit of a grey area how involved I should get with the youth strikes. But I've managed to find ways to show my support whilst respecting that this is a student-led initiative and not something any adult should be trying to commandeer or, or take over. Now, I'm a science communicator. I work at the University of Leeds. And at each of the four youth strikes, we've had, Dozens of climate researchers going along and talking to people. They're not there trying to give lectures. They're there to say, and many of them have said, you kids are right. Climate breakdown is the greatest threat to humanity and we need to act immediately. So for me, they they give legitimacy to these brave students, some of whom are being supported by their school or friends and family but others are being punished or ridiculed here's what one of those researchers had to say at the striking leads.
8: Hi, I'm Astrid. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Leeds. I work in the School of Earth and Environment and in the Business School. So I'm a behavioral decision researcher and I study how we can communicate climate in a simple and understandable way, as well as how people change their behaviors so that they have lower carbon footprints from their behaviors. The reason why I'm here today is first of all that finally somebody managed to put climate into a very simple message and I'm deeply impressed by the young students who did much better than the older generations and so in particular because it's Easter break now I'm here to support um, this movement and um, the strikes and try to help it by answering questions about climate change. The second one is that uh, the students have now taken the science seriously and they have understood that we need a deep societal transition, which does not only affect environmental domains or the environmental domain, but also our economy and our social systems. So, um, yeah, that's uh, the second reason. And um, the third one is that I'm deeply impressed by the political engagement. So we as younger people have been blamed that um, we're not very politically engaged, but I think we're just proving the opposite. And um, I count myself into that because I'm kind of still a student in my heart. And. Um, Yeah, I want to just uh, strengthen that movement and say that we're not only focused on our social environments and social media but that we also um, are interested in our future and how we can improve that and uh, prove a better life for everyone.
6: Now the school strikes in Leeds have made a big difference.
7: So it's definitely pushed it up the political agenda. Uh, Leeds City Council declared a climate emergency. And they said the last part of that was uh, the climate strikes that we've already had here.
6: That was after just two climate strikes. And it's exciting times. There are now huge numbers of people and groups coming together, working hard to make sure that the city council follows through with sweeping changes. And they don't just use this as you know, a cheap sort of token of, of goodwill. Alex Sobel is uh, an MP for Leeds North West, he's from the Labour Party, so he's not part of the City Council but I'm sure he was involved trying to encourage them to make the declaration. And I caught up with him at the first strike in Leeds in February.
9: I'm really pleased to be here for the Youth Climate Action, seeing so many young people out today to support some work that I do every day to try and stop catastrophic climate change engulfing the planet. It's great that we have so much support in Leeds. Leeds set the first city climate commission. We've got the brilliant Priestley Centre which worked with us to set the climate commission. My committee, the Environmental Audit Committee, are always getting experts in from the University of Leeds to speak to us about the engulfing crisis that could happen if we don't take urgent action. It's really important that we support young people, because young people are the future, in terms of us being able to tackle this. And we take on the revolution we're going to need in energy, in housing, in farming, in transport, in every area, so that we can transform not just Leeds, not just the UK, but Europe and the whole of the developed world.
4: do on, say your age. All these 15-year-olds have this amazing energy. Let's pick up all the 15-year-olds in the
6: building! Now, I consider myself engaged with politics, but never have I found myself in such strong agreement on environmental issues with any politicians. And yet, something seems to be dramatically changing. To me, it seems suddenly MPs and councillors are really starting to say the right things, and hopefully it won't be long before they start doing the right things too.
8: Here we go. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I'm asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, that thing, that horrible thing I see. What's that thing you've made out of my truffler tree? Yes, I'm the Lorax who speaks for the trees, which you seem to be chopping down as fast as you please. But I'm also in charge of the brown loops
6: in the shade of their now, Extinction Rebellion. Once plans for Rebellion Week in London were announced for April, I was quick to book days off work and to make plans to join in. Thankfully, my girlfriend was keen to join too, and we descended on London on the Monday lunchtime. We arrived in Parliament Square to find a carnival-like atmosphere. Music, dance, singing, performance, as well as, obviously, the key banners which were blocking off traffic. Police were wandering around, but only in small numbers. We met friends and were soon asked to reinforce one of the roadblocks where police numbers were starting to build. It was all a bit ominous. We sat in the road for a bit, danced to music, spent a few hours chatting to new friends towards early evening my brother joined when he'd finished work I was incredibly pleased that he came to join in as a Londoner I probably feared that he would be annoyed by the disruption but actually he clearly was supportive of the messages and the demands later on the three of us wandered over to Waterloo Bridge and that had been transformed into Garden Bridge again There's a carnival atmosphere that rained. It was now interspersed with initiation workshops and they couldn't have been a moment too soon. After an hour or so, we stood watching as police numbers suddenly started to rise and their tactics started to change where before they'd been passively watching, all of a sudden they began warning people to move elsewhere and that we faced arrest if we did not comply. This tactic continued the next day, essentially a verbal warning which gives police the right to arrest you afterwards or at least scare you into thinking that they might. As non-arrestables, this tactic very nearly pushed us off the bridge, the garden bridge, but instead we just slightly cautiously melted back into the crowd and avoided the police for a while. They almost exclusively arrested people at the front line where the road was blocked, so it was for for anyone that I saw it was a very kind of conscious decision. Yes, you may arrest me now. But that tactic of warning people was quite effective at clearing people who, like us, were not planning to get arrested. As the crowd started to thin, we left the bridge to go and get some shut-eye at my brother's flat. I didn't really have too much hope on the Monday night that Garden Bridge would still be ours come the morning, but to my surprise, it still was. The next day, we hung out at Marble Arch, we had a delicious dal for lunch. I did my first meditation with slightly chaotic sound all around us. And we spent that afternoon dancing at the Pink Boat, which was parked right in the middle of Oxford Circus. That dancing was quite exciting, particularly when we were essentially dancing away from police officers. What we figured out was that if they didn't give us a verbal warning, they couldn't arrest us. So it was like this slow, joyous game of cat and mouse for hours on end before we had to go and make our way to catch our train home. Taking part in Extinction Rebellion was excellent. They're not simply protesting for the sake of it, and so far they've been pretty good at communal decision making and not doing anything too stupid. What I particularly like about XR is that both nationally and here in Leeds, they're saying, here's what you have to do, i.e. everything in your power to avert climate breakdown. Now start doing it or move aside and we'll do it for you. In Leeds, there are plans for a citizens' assembly and citywide conversations about how we tackle this emergency. I think this is clearly essential No political party is going to win elections based on taking tough measures to fight climate change because the decisions we have to make are really hard. People and businesses will have to make big sacrifices. and Most importantly, we need to make sure every voice is heard. Not just the privileged, but those who struggle to survive, who rightly do not put climate at the top of their priority list. On a national scale, we were lucky to have Greta come to visit the UK and to meet with political leaders. Whilst it's been reported that the UK Parliament declared a climate emergency, we're not celebrating too soon, as that didn't involve a vote and only involved a small number of MPs. But we're still pushing and still hope to see the UK government declare a climate emergency. And then we might see some serious and urgent changes across the board, which can help us avert disaster. For me, climate activism has brought me new friendships, new communities and a stronger sense of purpose. One of the less glamorous moments of recent activism involved my new house, where I am now, and a group of six of us, all from Extinction Rebellion, proceeded to retrofit my lounge with a giant stack of underfloor insulation that was 400 millimeters of mineral wool for those who are interested and whilst this won't solve anything by itself the knock-on effect this is having on other friends and family will hopefully help in the longer term the same goes for drastically cutting the amount of meat that we eat plastic we consume flights we take, even children that we have. We're social beings and together we can change the world. So I'm now feeling much more hopeful than I did nine months or so ago. Protecting the climate, the natural world, our life support system, is no longer the concern of just a few. These messages are cutting through and people are responding. The scale of our challenge is huge, but it also presents an opportunity for countries and communities to work together, to unite and to stop our planet from burning. So it's been really exciting being a part of the climate movement here in Leeds. Robbie's got a final message to give to you listening in Australia and around the world.
7: Carry on doing the excellent work. Don't give up. We're, we're standing with you. Uh, we've really got a, something special here. We've got a, like a, a global movement that's led by young people. Um, I think that's excellent. We, we support you. We love you. And uh, yeah, Keep, carry on and keep getting louder.
6: So, thanks for listening to this update from Leeds in England, and I hope you all have a great day. <laughs>
3: Well, I don't think I can find any better way to end this episode than Simon just has. I've just gotten back to my house from climate reality. I'm dog tired. I'm bone deep fatigued. But just sitting down to re-listen to that now, I'm filled with hope and energy and vigor all over again. And because I've just returned from climate reality where standing up and giving a standing ovation to people who really deserved it who were doing amazing work who were so inspiring that you just couldn't help yourself you were compelled to stand and show your appreciation i want to stand up right now and give you a standing ovation simon that was fantastic to hear i really felt like i was there i felt like these people who i read about in the paper who i see on the news Who are doing non violent direct action on the streets of London, on the streets of Sydney, or in Sydney's case, by hanging under Sydney Harbour Bridge, by camping out for climate in Melbourne's Treasury Gardens, who are gluing their hands to the lobby of the IPA. You're not just stories. You're people. You're people who are our friends. You're people who are our family. You're our people we are yours I've never felt so committed to doing what I'm doing now or felt so strongly that this is the right thing to be doing and I'm feeling that way because I get to hear your stories because this is not Mark's show on climate or George's or Maxine's Bronwyn's or Rich's this is ours and this little space we've got here to share stories of each other by each other I think it's beautiful and I'm really happy, really excited this is happening. So if you were inspired by Simon's story, just like I was, join him. Feel free to send one in from wherever you are, from whatever you're doing in the face of the climate crisis. You have the ability, the power to inspire someone else. I guarantee you, you're going to inspire me. So if you'd like to send in a story, and if you want to hear it and share it here, just get in contact at hello at climactic.fm. And if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying hearing the stories of others, we would really appreciate it if you told a friend or two. All right. I said I couldn't wrap it up any better than Simon did, and I can't, so I'll end it here. But I just want you all to know you're doing great work. You're inspiring others, even if you don't know it. And please, for my sake, keep it up, but look after yourself. And let's all take care of each other. This has been a production of Climactic, a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bromwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidicara. Our digital design is by Rose Fiticara. Our Climactic theme is produced by Greg Drossi, and our logo, designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times.